Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Out to Jersey, right point. Back to Cali, a right circle, a shot, tip, score! Gabe Velarde! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. The second round shooter for the Kings, a right shot, a goal and an assist tonight, picks it up. Velarde in on goal, deeks, and he scores! Quick hands, Gabe Velarde. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Better get used to hearing that name because the announcers are saying it a lot, the fans are saying it a lot, and you're going to hear us saying it a lot over the next 90 minutes or so. Gabriel Velarde is having himself a heck of a start to the season. Now, you're about to hear two different conversations with two different people, Zach Dooley and Jim Fox, but both of them were recorded on Wednesday, and both of these guys are in Pittsburgh with the team. Zach and I had scheduled our conversation in advance, but Jim volunteered to hop on a Twitter space with me and talk to Kings fans after that three-game road winning streak. So that's what we did. And we got a lot of great questions. As always, Jim gave some great answers. Uh, Thanks to everybody that joined us as it was happening live on Wednesday. And for those of you who couldn't or weren't aware of it, uh, we're bringing it to you here today. So I hope you enjoy it. Joining me now all the way from Pittsburgh, PA, Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse, doing well, especially off of the first three games of this road trip, which couldn't have gone much better. No, they really couldn't. I'm recording this at about 10 a.m. on Wednesday morning, and uh, you know, obviously would have loved to have recorded last night, but you were on a plane heading out, and I was in my apartment alone, and uh, it just didn't feel right. So uh, in order to get myself amped up for this, I've been listening to Prince for the last hour. Classic. Yeah, that, that just gets you fired up to it try does. to replicate the energy I'm sure you were feeling last night. Um, last game, last night's game was a post-game podcast that you needed to record with friends, right? Like yeah. that wasn't a hop on a mic by yourself right. and just talk. That, you, that would have been a really fun one if it was at home. Pull a couple people together with you in the media room and have a good time. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think it was that kind of game, which it would have been... Just you yelling at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think my neighbors would have appreciated it much. Um, <laughs> it's a Segundo thing. Like that's not that's not kosher in El Segundo. No, uh, no, no. Is et cetera. So you know, good call. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things where you know, even Kings talk, right? Nick and Daryl had to, I'm sure, get to the bus um, to get to the airport because I know you guys flew out uh, shortly after the game. So you know, we did. Yep, and it was a late game as it was. Um, Probably should have bet the fact that an 847 local start would not only go to overtime, yeah, but also yeah. be the first game in the NHL all season to go to a shootout. Um, just had to happen, and it did. Let's talk about the shootout. I mean, we'll just go backwards. Gabe Velarde in the shootout. Gabriel Velarde. I keep wanting to call him Gabe. Uh, apologies to Mrs. Velarde for calling your baby boy Gabe all the time. But um, 
I saw that tweet you tweeted out about uh, calling the AHL a development league and having, you know, a shot-for-shot recreation of Gabriel Velarde scoring on a shootout in the AHL. Or was it a penalty shot or a shootout? Or, I don't know. It, was a, it was a shootout game winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar situation, Velarde scored, and then Cal Peterson made a save at the other end to seal the deal. Um, that is why we're recording at 10 and not 9.30, because I had to record <laughs> right. it like 15 times to get it sizable for Twitter and not blurry. Yes, the first um, one you posted looked like it was shot on a potato, as my friends like. That was the exact same gift. One posted on my phone, one posted from my computer. And apparently you don't send it via phone first. You just post it from the computer. Um, rookie mistake. But it was literally the first thing I thought of when he scored last night was like he scored that exact same goal in the shootout against San Jose. Uh, an early December game in his first full AHL season. He would, had probably only been playing for about less, probably about a month, maybe, maybe less. Um, that's about when he debuted and he scored that goal and he did the exact same move last night against a very good goaltender and it worked. For those listening who don't have Twitter or maybe missed the tweet, I, I'll try and describe it. Zach, you're, when you say the exact same move, like, his legs move at the same time in relation to the crease. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally the exact same move. Yeah. That was exactly what I noticed too. Like the left leg, how it like yeah. twitches out at the exact same moment. And the only thing that's different is that in the AHL clip, the goalie is completely befuddled. Yes. And is like <laughs> Whereas you see Saros, a very good goalie in the NHL, stuck with the play, but was still well beaten. Well, and his and Saros's body moves to the left as he realizes what's happening, whereas right. the the AHL goalie, his head just looks to the left as he sees what says he sees yeah. what's happening. I mean, that's the, exactly yeah. The NHL goalie is maybe a half second faster, but not fast enough to stop. Not fast enough for Gabe Velarde. Yeah, and a heck of a game by him as well. Like full disclosure, I wrote a dumb tweet uh, replacing the word party with Velarde uh, after his first goal, I think, and then was pretty unhappy with it uh, and was like, there's got to be a better alternative. Came up with a second one, hoping that he'd get another goal. He didn't, but he got a great an assist. So I posted that and then was like, ah, I'm still, I don't know, and then came up with another one. And of course he scores the uh, the game winner in the shootout. I mean, it's, he leads the team in points right now. We're going to talk to Jim Fox later today, but I'll just start with you. Like Team 1-3 has got to be pretty happy today. This is a great day to have Jim Fox and myself on the podcast, uh, Team 1-3 one, team one in the flesh. Um, <laughs> like Gabe Velarde, you know, your Twitter game may have gotten better uh, <laughs> as the game progressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Gabe, Gabe was really good as he's been all year. Um, the pass to Matt Roy... When you, when you watch it live, you don't really realize the situation. But when you see it on replay, because I wanted to look, look at that goal again, Gabe Velarde is so heads up that he had about a one-second window to make that pass. A Nashville player went to the bench to get a new stick. And had he waited at all, that window would have closed as the player was back-checking on Matt Roy. But Velarde recognized it very quickly. Hit Matt Roy with a pass that I think was harder to execute than it looked like. Uh, to get him in a perfect spot. And as Cal Peterson said after the game, you turn around and sip your water bottle because Matt Roy doesn't miss from the slot. <laughs> yeah, that was a great quote. Um, look, before that goal even went in, I was already exclaiming on the pass. Like, I, I, it was a great pass. I mean, and, and when I watch the replay, it's like there isn't anything spectacular physically about it. 
right? It's not between the legs or behind the back or no look. Like if you remove the context of the pass, it just looks like a forward pass from right. the puck carrier to a you know to a guy. He's not even crashing the net. He's just you know advancing the play. But you add in the context, like you said, and it and it becomes an unbelievable pass. And how many times do you see that pass just not connect? Because you have to hit it perfectly in stride mm-hmm. because of the tight window of where the player is and defenseman coming up from the goal. And, like, you have to put it right in his tape because he's not going to have time to reset himself after getting it. It had to be on the tape, and it was. And what was really cool, too, about that shift was Gabe Velarde was on the ice, Quinn Byfield was on the ice, and Brant Clark was on the ice. And this was a, a four-on-four situation. The Kings trailed three to two and they were less than four minutes left. And, you know, that was the group that was on the ice. And all four of those guys had a role in that game winning goal or game time goal, excuse me. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really cool little part of that play as well as the Kings came back to tie the game. Somebody asked me when I was going to do my annual, like, this team is good. I don't care <laughs> tweet. And I sort of snarkily ish replied when they win by more than two goals but last night was the first i mean look it's early days in the season and that was what their third win but the fact that it was come from behind and not just like come from behind one goal but come from behind two goals second game on back-to-back situations on the road nashville detroit or nashville from detroit is not the biggest you know flight in the world but it's not insignificant i mean i don't know you tell me how long it took it certainly isn't insignificant. Um, usually the back-to-back flights are like an hour, hour and a half or so, mm-hmm. but that's just the flight. You have to think of you know time to get to the airport, time to leave the airport, bus to the hotel, getting into your room, getting settled. The fact that when you get there, you can't get to bed right away. And it's not like they you know, were in their beds sleeping by 1130. Like it's, it's well after 12 that, that these guys are settling down, not to mention the fact that they played the night before, so they're still pretty amped up. From the game, it's just a natural reaction. So a lot of factors for sure that, that make back-to-backs tough. Um, I also didn't think, even though the Kings were down 3-1, like, I didn't think they were playing all that poorly. No. And neither did Todd McClellan. Like, they, the first period, um, after they conceded early, they really controlled the play. Um, second period was a penalty parade both ways, which kind of disrupted the flow. But it wasn't like you were sitting there like, ah, they're getting trounced here like they have nothing they're lucky to be down by two it's almost like they're almost unfortunate to be down by two because it was they, they were playing okay at, to that point and then the third period really took it up a notch now the season's uh, young enough that one game can swing these stats in any direction but nashville and la are first and second in the league in power play opportunities and times shorthanded um, and obviously that game last night had a lot, had a lot to do with that. Yeah. But, but I mean, the Kings were first in both statistics through four games. And then last night, I think the Kings had eight power play opportunities and Nashville had five. Um, what if you, have, you have to go back and look. I don't know off the top of my head. Like, do you think teams that have are high in one category are typically high in the other? Like, that's just the flow of games. Like, if you draw a ton of penalties, you probably also take some, or is that... So I hadn't thought about that, but I brought that stat up on one of the Kings message boards, and a a poster had a comment that I was literally just talking to my dad about this yesterday, and, and we both agreed. I have no idea if it's true, but it's an interesting thought. 
because of the league's uh, propensity for what fans believe are makeup calls, not going to say that they actually happen, although there's evidence <laughs> to suggest that they do. But yeah, to your point, it's entirely possible that teams that commit a lot of penalties might have a lot of uh, power play opportunities as a result of makeup calls or vice versa, right? Teams that are um, penalized a lot might get the opposite. So I, I don't know. I, I probably won't go look that up, but if anybody has time on their hands um, and wanted to, that would be a really fascinating thing to check because it's, I mean, it's, I don't, I, I wish I also knew the last time that number one and number two teams in those <laughs> two categories played against one another, but yeah. I was really happy with the Kings penalty killing effort and uh, less than thrilled with the power play effort. Hey, they scored in the power play. They did. Um, so they, they got one. Yes, they did. Um, uh, the penalty kill certainly was the story of the game. Um, shorthanded, as you said, five times for about eight and a half minutes. Um, starts with the goaltender, who I thought was excellent on the penalty kill specifically. Um, you know, Cal Peterson had a couple good saves in the second period, a couple of big saves in overtime. Um, and Todd McClellan likes to say that the goalie is the most important penalty killer. It starts with the goaltender. It certainly did last night. Um, he was happy with the retrievals on dump-ins, was happy with how the Kings stood up at the blue line and, and prevented controlled zone entries. And on that four-on-three in overtime, I mean, the biggest minute 48 of the overtime was the last minute 48 when the Kings were shorthanded. And they didn't not give up any shots, which is almost impossible, four-on-three, but they didn't give up that no-doubter cross-slot one-timer shot. Um, the biggest chance that they had, Mikey Anderson made his one save of the night, which was huge. Um, and I, I thought the penalty kill looked very good. I would agree with you. I want to talk about Mikey Anderson for a second because I, you know, I'm team four, four, I guess, if you guys, <laughs> if you guys are team one, three. Yeah. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about his play because when he does get beat for a goal against or when he's on the ice for a goal against, it's frequently, I'm going to use the word cinematic or like visually noticeable. But I think he's almost so solid. I won't say excellent, but I'll say like so solid and so reliable and so fundamentally sound that those are the only things you'll notice. You know, he's sort of like the quintessential guy we used to say, if you're never noticing a defenseman, he's doing his job. And the only time other than that incredible block last night that I feel like most people notice him is on those rare occasions when he gets beat by an incredible effort by an incredible player. And you go, yeah, okay, well, you know, good for him for even pushing the forward to make that move to, to score the goal. Um, he and Dowdy have not been as, you know, it's only five games. So their numbers have not been as impressive as they have been in past seasons, but like they're still making a very excellent pair. And I thought he also had a great game. Thought so too. Um, Trent Yanni used to say last year that Mikey Anderson has the maybe the best mindset amongst the younger defensemen he's worked that he has at putting a goal against past him. Mm-hmm. Like, well, maybe he does get beat like that, but then the next shift he'll just come out and be Mikey Anderson again. Like, it doesn't drag him down or phase him like it does for some other younger players. Um, and I feel like that kind of speaks to the point that you just made. Um, you know, it hasn't been yeah like. I think five games to look at any sort of analytical stats is just too soon. Like yeah. do it, we do it for one game and try to draw conclusions from, no, I don't do that. Or you don't do that, but people do that. 
as if it means something like that's not the point of those metrics. They're not there to tell you right. Who's good off of one game. They're meant to be used over a large extended sample size to potentially provide underlying data to support the points. So you're right. Like not quite what they were in past years, but at the same time, you know, the overall Kings metrics aren't quite where they were last year yet. They were, you know, top five team in the league puck possession wise five on five last year. So when you look at relative to the Kings, they are kind of a little bit more with what they were, but you look at the eye test and, you know, Mikey Anderson's been good. The pairing with Drew Doughty uh, seemingly been, been pretty good. Um, and Anderson last night and in the Minnesota game, key blocks in the last minute to preserve a one goal win. Yeah. And the Nashville game was the first game where I felt like the team I was watching was familiar. Um, the Minnesota game, obviously. Meaning was, the Kings or the opposition? The Kings. Like, this looks more like the team we watched last year, or at least through the last two-thirds of last year. Yeah. You know, the opening night game was a mess. That was opening night. Um, the Minnesota game, obviously, was a, a – what do you want to call it? A, a track shoot, whatever. <laughs> I think that's not the – not even a word. It was a one-off straight. Yeah. It was just you, tr- track meet is what that's you're the, Thank you. Um, but it was just a strange yeah. game. Yeah, and then the Detroit game, you know, it worked out. But it, weird, weird things have happened in most in four of the five games. And then last night was like, oh, okay, they played well. They gave up a lead, <laughs> and then they came back, proved their resiliency, and you know, won it in a shootout. And Gabe Velarde looked great. I, I feel like throughout the course of this trip we're starting to see some of the traits and tendencies of last year's team come out. Like even in the Minnesota game, how many times last year they talk about the shift after a goal against the Kings frequently scored. They did that twice in Minnesota scoring within a minute of conceding. So while that game was nothing like the Kings last year, there was that trait that we saw from that team in the Minnesota game. I thought the Detroit game was, if you asked me after that game, I would have said, that's the most like the Kings that they looked until the Nashville game when I thought that they looked even better or more so like themselves in the Nashville game. So the Detroit game was a step forward, but you're seeing the the nice line look more like the nice line. You, I really thought in Nashville you saw Lemieux, Lazat with whichever was their wingers looked a lot more like they did last year. I thought they were really energetic and really noticeable. The resiliency and the comeback mentality in the third, we saw it frequently last year. Kings among the best teams in the league. In terms of comebacks last year, they do it again last night. So we're seeing some of these traits that the Kings prided themselves on last year, not to mention the success in the second half of back-to-backs. They were the fourth-best team in the league in that department last year. So a lot of traits that made the team successful last year starting to come out, even if this high-scoring version of the team you know, maybe wasn't what they were last year. I- I'm... Not proposing that this is true. I'm just saying I think it's really difficult not to apply this narrative. And maybe it's just me. Again, I don't want to speak for all Kings fans. But I think it's it feels a little bit like they got Kevin Fiala. They made the playoffs, 99 points, career years from all these guys. And, you know, Todd McClellan talked about raised expectations, right? And it felt a little bit like maybe they came into this season playing like, they were going to sneak in the way they did a lot of the time last season. And it feels to me anyway, watching these games, like the teams they've played against so far through five games are not taking them lightly. They're not sneaking in anywhere. They're, they're getting full. They will sneak up on nobody, right? This year, the Kings are known 
commodity. Mm. Um, so certainly not going to sneak up on anybody. Yeah, and they added Kevin Fiala. So, I mean, mm. that's just adds to the thing. So for them to go on the road, you know, people talked about the possibility of a road trip sort of coalescing that identity and cementing some of the, the things that Todd McClellan had talked about bringing back from last season. You're traveling with the team, so without, you know, revealing any uh, behind-the-scenes conversations or locker room talk, like how does the team feel on the road? I think they feel pretty pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, 3-0 is 3-0, um, no matter how you spin it. Uh, going into the Minnesota game, you know, it was 0-2. There was a lot of cliches, if you will, thrown out about, you know, it can be good to get on the road. You kind of get away from it. It's just hockey. It's just the team. Um, the Kings were a really good road team last year, and they're so far obviously proving to be a pretty good road team in the early stages of this year. Um, Mudra in the room has been excellent. Um, you know, Todd McClellan, very happy with certain things in each of the wins, uh, especially with the way that they came back to win last night. Um, so all is good um, on the road for sure. It's been a great trip so far. Well-deserved off day. What will be yesterday when this goes out today when we're recording it, um, and then two tough tests Pittsburgh and Washington to close out the trip, which certainly will not be easy games. Both playoff teams last year. Yeah, you know it's funny if they lose to Pittsburgh and Washington. Not proposing that they should or that I want them to, but they'll have a sub five hundred record on the season. Mm-hmm. But I'll feel pretty good. I mean, three and two on a tough road trip. Would be great. And, and listen, if they get a point or even two points, three points, four points out of the remaining two games, you know, so much the better. Just compared to where they were last year through five games, you know, the ceiling, the sky was falling, right? Like put everybody on a rocket ship, fire it into the sun. Um, at this point last year, it's quite the turnaround. I imagine the one guy who probably needed that win the most last night was Cal Peterson. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's well. Cal Peterson has no losses this year. There you go. But yeah. I guess I guess what I, I should say him. is the the mm-hmm. win, the way like it it really hurt my feelings that Nashville scored that third goal because I thought Cal Peterson had played excellently to that point, and that Correct. goal was just one of those ones where you're like, ah, oh, come, you know, like I'm not gonna hang him out. To, like every goalie has a goal like that at some point mm-hmm. in the season, and it was just a bummer that it was like three to one, and you're like, ah, oh, he's played so well. And this, yeah. you know, people are going to go nuts. And, and so the fact that they wound up winning, I, I thought was great. You can really As, see aside the from the fact that they just won. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, but you can really see the confidence, I think, uh, filled throughout the game for Cal Peterson. Like, felt like as you got into the third and overtime, it was like, he's, he's making these saves. Like, he's not letting one in, um, which is what we've seen from Cal when he's at his best. Um, he called. Uh, he said after the game, he's like, "Look, like I haven't been getting the individual results that I've wanted this season, even though like both of his starts have been wins." Um, and he said that like that's a big confidence builder for him. The way that the team played and came back in front of him, the way that that he was able to play, especially in the third period in overtime, all three saves in the shootout, um, and, and you kind of hope that we can get to a point where every time Cal Peterson gives up a goal the reaction isn't like trade this bum. Like that's not the case for other. Like, I don't, I don't know why five periods in that's like the reaction because this is a guy who's won a lot of games for the Kings. Kings are two and zero with him in net this year. And he was really, really good um, last night in Nashville. So important piece for the Kings when he and, and Jonathan quick are trading quality performances. That's when the Kings were at their best last year. And 
I think that's exactly where they want to get back to this year. The Nashville scored the first goal of the game and within 30 seconds, my phone, like the notifications just <laughs> started text messages, DMs, people saying stuff. And, and I, you know, listen, I get it. Did, I, did I, we pinpoint a, what, a three period sample size for any goalie in the league selectively, you will find a God awful one for every single one. Yeah. It just so happened that, yeah, he, you know what, Cal allowed six in his first start of the year. Um, for some reason, we put stock into exhibition performances for <laughs> yeah. some players, but not others. Yeah. Um, and it's just weird, like, why the reaction is so negative so early. And then after the game, it's like those same people choose to not believe that they said what they said in the first period. Yeah, I, I choose to believe that it all comes from passion and love for the team. And just people are so uh, desiring a win and solid play that uh, that it hurts their feelings when they get less than their standards and maybe need to adjust their standards a little bit. Um <laughs> It's it's not unfair to criticize, you know, performance, right? It's yeah. not. Um, but at the same time, not every goal is the goaltender's fault. Right. <laughs> and every, you know, time there is one that might be, um, when it's taken out of the context of the larger picture, like you could you could do the same for every goalie if you selectively chose to do so. Now, uh, Alex Iafalo and Alex Edler uh, were not available last night. Do we know anything about? I know that I read somewhere that I follow had gone back home to LA. Well, I follow is on injured reserve, yeah. um, which I believe would keep him out for seven days. That sounds right. Which, which obviously keeps is the entirety of this trip plus. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex Edler not on injured reserve. Um, more of a day to day situation with him. Uh, the Kings recalled Jacob Movarara as a backup option, but that's not necessarily an indication that Edler would be out for those last two games. The, the Kings had no other healthy defensemen to put in, so you needed to be extra, whereas they had two extra forwards and still have an extra forward. So they their roster makeup lent itself more to handle a forward injury than a defensive injury. Um, Alex said they're still here on the trip, um, so we'll we'll see how it shakes out. But, you know, I follow certainly looking like the longer-term uh, player at this time, but... As we know, you know, you never know how things can can change on a, a dime. I confess I didn't see it. Um, what happened to Edler? I uh, took a puck to the face during warm-ups. I think he shot, crossbar, face, oh, I believe. Brutal. Um, it's, on, it's on Twitter if you want to find it. I, I saw some gifts, but I mean, those, it's not a great shot of it. It's one of those – you can't really see it yeah. in full, but – it's just one of those freak plays you have. You feel like we that happens maybe once a year where the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong deflection and it hits you in the wrong place. And it's just, you rarely see it. Um, but it just so happened to be, you know, a defenseman for the Kings on a night when they only had six in warmups. And then there was the, the mad rush to get Sean Walker ready, who I thought responded quite well uh, with how he played in Detroit. I'm still constantly surprised that more terrible things don't happen more frequently when when you think about all the potential ways for someone to get hurt during a hockey game and then you see when it does randomly like the you know this is going back a while but when duncan keith quote unquote accidentally smashed jeff carter's mouth in with his stick in the 2014 playoffs and knocked out some teeth or you see you know the occasional guy gets cut with a skate or 
you know, Drew Doughty the other night when his stick got stuck under the net and he wound up yeah. spearing himself in the midsection. Yeah. Um, I've been there. That, that hurts. Yeah, but it's sort of a miracle it doesn't happen every play, you know, with how fast these guys are moving and all of the different yeah. uh, pieces of equipment involved. Uh, anyway, I think we're going to wrap it up, Zach, unless there's anything else you're burning to talk about. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think I have any... Any burning desires to... Any good movies on the plane? I guess we can knock that out. I'm a firm worker on the plane. I try to do as much work as I can on the plane so that I can better enjoy my time when I'm on the ground. I've never taken a work flight, so I don't know if I'd be in the same category. All my flights are uh, are usually to visit family. Here's how I ration it, and this is such a boring answer, but I'm going to give it anyway. like I'm forced to be on the plane. (laughs) The only thing I can do is sit in my seat and do whatever I want to do at my seat. So I might as well work on the plane. So that way when I am on the ground and I can choose what I do, I have more time to choose what I do. I don't think that's boring. I think that's, I think it's boring, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I don't, well, right. Like, well, it's, it's, it's only boring because we don't hear the other half of the equation. Yeah. Right. Like presumably what you do with your spare time when you're not on the plane is not, well, I mean, some of it's eating or sleeping. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm sure you go and do other stuff. Um, yeah, I'm, a real, not, not I'm a real social, social butterfly. So I, I get out and do a lot of taking a bunch of, of photos of, Dar- of fans and Daryl Evans. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, that's usually what I do on right. game day. It's like I, Daryl Evans, most recognized man in the league. And uh, you should get business cards made up. Daryl Evans photographer. Daryl Evans personal photographer. I'd like that added to my title. Figure out um, a way to make a Z and a D in the shape of a bow tie. You know, <laughs> for all the people who have posted blurry photos of Daryl Evans when meeting him on the road, you're welcome. There you go. All right, Dooley, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the trip, and we'll talk to you when you get home. Sounds good. That was Zach Dooley. Uh, he and I recorded that conversation around 10 a.m. then at noon. Uh, On Wednesday, Jim Fox joined me for a live Twitter space. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, but I know we have listeners who aren't on Twitter and probably roll their eyes every time I mention it. So for anyone who's unaware, a Twitter space is just a a new way to host a live program over the Twitter platform. Um, It's essentially just a call-in show. Um, I was really happy with how this went. I think Jim was too. I know Jim was too. So we're definitely going to be doing it again. Once we sort out some kind of schedule... Best way to host it and bring it to you, we'll let you know uh, on here, because I know, like I said, not everybody's on Twitter, not everybody's on Instagram, whatever the various options are for now. The next one we do probably will be on Twitter. That doesn't mean it'll live there permanently, and I will always bring the recording of it uh, here in case you can't be with us live. All right, um, that is enough rambling from me, and as I said the other day on the show uh it's not rambling it's all written down i'm reading this off of a screen except for this part and i hate it i hate reading things it feels completely inauthentic to me and it drives me nuts anyway here's my conversation with jim and some great la kings fans back to the script apologies but the recording cut out for the first minute or so we joined this conversation already in progress what does work look like for you during a game that you're not calling it looks like more uh Jumping up and screaming, <laughs> like uh, pounding my fist on the on a missed pass and a tap in and a, and a yell and a scream and and of course you're not supposed to cheer in the press box, but I think I uh, I disregard that that rule. I mean, don't you get a pass at some point in your career? 
Well, I, I would hope so, but uh, it, it all depends. Actually, last night we were amongst mostly Kings people and scouts as opposed to media reporting on the game. So I think I could get a pass on that one. So let's talk about it. We're, we're still a minute shy of when we're supposed to start, but I think we're just going to start it at this point. Um, we talked to Zach Dooley this morning, and uh, I uh, referenced Team 1-3, and you and Zach are the co-chairmans of Team 1-3. So I'll just give you a second to crow about the player that you correctly identified as looking great in the preseason, Gabriel Velarde. Uh, it's, it's just to be honest, the first practice I walked into, I saw him do one drill and I said, what the heck is that? I just noticed something, whether it was, I think it just a kind of a lack of hesitation, more assertive, more confident. And then when we got a chance to talk to him off the ice, you really notice a bigger smile, more of a smile. And then maybe about a week ago, he, you know, he came out public and said, I'm no longer putting pressure on myself like I did in the past. And that is the most important thing I could have heard or seen or anything from Gabe Velarde because, you know, that's what, you know, unfortunately, like every player, you have to learn, like every person, not even a professional athlete, you have your ups, your downs, you got to learn how to get through them. And I think Gabe has done a lot of work on his mental part of his game. And he's understanding that, you know, at times you got to have fun. Now, we'll see what happens when he goes through some adversity, which everyone's going to go through. But at the same time, I think he's come a long way mentally. And there's no question it's showing on the ice. I think when they did the scouting report on him when he was picked, I mean, they knew he had this skill. It's now just about asserting it into a game and then doing it more confidently and more consistently. At the beginning of last season, we spoke to Sean Dersey uh, from the rookie tournament. Was I think it was in San Jose last year. Do I have that? Or no, it was in San Jose. Well, whatever it was. We spoke to Sean Dersey, and he told us, that he had, it sounded exactly like what you're saying with Gabe, right? He talked about, you know, his different approach and how he had put a lot of pressure on himself early in his career because of his draft profile. He was a second round pick, not 11th overall, but he was saying, you know, he had this timeline in his head and he was beating himself up and he was just going to take this season to sort of, you know, appreciate the moment, live in the moment, et cetera. And then of course he gets called up and he looks totally comfortable. Is, you know, does that sound like the sort of thing you were talking about with Gabe? I think with Gabe, there's two things. The first thing is, I honestly believe that he has to play in the top six. And even if, you know, he's top nine now, Mm -hmm. that time he gets on the power play, it's kind of like it almost equates to a top six role, or at least he's counted upon in those offensive situations. I think Gabe's game goes up exponentially compared to when he plays in a bottom six role. When he still might be trying the same things, it just if it doesn't work, then I just think it bothers him more. I think he has more of a green light. Um, I know Sean, Sean, the way Sean communicates, Sean Dersey, he's much, he's much more comfortable communicating with the public, with the media. So they're different people that way, and uh, I think that's where you get different reads on guys. But uh, I think with Gabe, he he understands his skill set. I think the Kings understand his skill set. And it's the same old cliche. You've got to put a player in a position where they can succeed. And I think Gabe is in that. He's in that role right now. You you mentioned top six role. Is it possible with, like you said, special teams play? Is it possible to play a top six role on technically top nine minutes? Because like looking at the forward minute distribution, it's Deneau, Kopitar, Moore, Kempe, Fiala, and Arvidsson are your top six. 
Gabe Velarde is number seven, but he's playing over 16 minutes a game. I'm just going to go to one thing, and whether it continues or not, if he keeps playing the same way, it will continue. Mm-hmm. But four on four late in the game, he's on the ice with Byfield. And that tells me something. That tells me he's earned it. It also tells me that I think, you know, Todd McClellan, as the coach, understands that if this group is going to get where they need to get, those younger guys have to start taking a little bit bigger bite of the apple. They have to start being counted on a little bit more. They have to start being put. Jess, you remember, remember we talked last year on a podcast, we're talking about the Bruins and breaking up the big line. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same concept. You know, I'm not saying break up a big line. All I'm saying is you've got to give up. You can't get to a, the playoffs and all of a sudden, when your top line gets neutralized, expect guys that have never been in that role before, under that pressure before, it's unfair to expect them to exceed in the playoffs. So that's what Todd's doing now. He's giving them a little bit more rope, a little bit more responsibility. And, you know, it it came through last night. It's not always going to come through. And maybe part of that maturing process and evolution is is going through nights where it doesn't work and learning how to bounce back. But uh, that's where you get top six, so to speak, role. Maybe not minutes, but top six role because you play in that type of a situation. I do want to talk about that shift you referenced uh, late in the game, four on four with with Byfield and Velarde on the ice. I think Clark was as well, because Gabe Velarde made a pass that set up the goal, the game tying goal. And before the puck was in the back of the net, I was caught admiring the pass. Now it didn't. uh, When I watched the replay, the pass didn't seem as nice as it did to me in the moment. So, can you talk about that pass and and how nice it actually was? It's the way he handles things, I think, is that he, 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 he's so deceptive because he has a long stride with his legs, but his hands work independently from his legs. There's a lot of graceful skaters out there that their arms, or their arms are moving in unison with their legs. I think Gabe, for a big tall guy, has kind of a European characteristics where you can have your hands or arms work separately from your legs and it gives a different look. So, and it was almost like a no look pass, right? He's leaning one way, throws it back against the other and he's giving off all sorts of mis- you know, miscommunication. You don't know what he's going to do. And that's part of his offensive instinct. That's, that's what he does. I mean, even his goal last night, I mean, you know, the way he tipped it, he just caressed the puck back towards his own feet. And it ends up, man, a gaping wide five hole and it's in. But all those types of things, you know, I don't want to go to. To me, what caught my attention, yeah, was the, you know, well, the old man on the ice was Matt Roy at 27. <laughs> you gave it 23. You've got 20 for Byfield and you got 19 for, uh, for Clark. And when the goal was scored, the goal was scored. The two Kings defensemen were in front of the other team's net. There you go. Uh, We're going to open it up. Anybody listening right now that wants to ask Jim a question, go ahead and uh, request to ask, and we'll promote you to speaker. Uh, Keep in mind, we don't have any any, uh, call screeners, so, you know, keep it appropriate. Um, But, Jim, let's talk about Cal Peterson. How important was it, not just for the win, because it wasn't his first win of the season, but um, Dooley and I talked about it this morning, the, the way that he won. Huge, or is it's just 
the night before in Detroit, mm -hmm. the Kings win. And it's almost more important because of what happened with the empty net situation. If it would have been a complete game for Cal last night where he was great from start to finish, it may not have had the same impact than coming back and then holding on. And then for the last part of the game, playing like he did. I don't know if you guys saw it. I saw it live. And, and Billy Ranford has talked about it. After the second period, Cal was not happy with their third goal. Hmm. And when he got to the bench, he swung his stick and snapped it on the bench. Ella, Jonathan Quick. <laughs> Billy has been trying to get Cal to be a little bit more like that because he holds everything inside. You know, he, he wants that calm demeanor, which is great. You want that from a goaltender. I think more than not, you want that ability of the goaltender to calm things down, his body language. But I noticed that. And then to come back in the period, the, the way the Kings did, and then to, to make saves that he did, end of regulation, into overtime, and then in the shootout, that's, that's better than a 35-shot shutout. Hmm. It really is. I think it just it gets him through some tough times. Now, there's still some ways to go. Like the first goal last night, again, I know people have heard me before if they have. I don't categorize it as a bad goal because the shooting position was inside the dots, right in the middle of the slot. I think he wanted it back. Second one, no chance. Third one, he felt he, you know, it's not in the short side there. And he was upset. He showed his teammates they were upset. And I think at the end of the game, when he wins the game, Great for his teammate and great for him. Yeah, I think Bill Ranford actually specifically uh, spoke about wanting uh, Cal to show more emotion in the preseason. Jeff, uh, you're muted right now, but uh, you got a question for me or Jim? Uh, yeah, uh, Jim, uh, what do you what do you think the Kings have to do to play better at home? I mean, we won more games on the road last year and already are on that pace this year. Uh, I'm just wondering what we what we need to do to uh, bring that attitude from the road back home a little bit more and get more of a home ice advantage. Yeah, it's a well point well taken. Uh, I think that most, and I don't think I'm going to tell you anything you haven't heard before. I think when you get home, sometimes you do tend to try things a little bit more. You, you not risky, but just just that concept of you know putting on a show i hate to, i hate to be so cliche but that question you just posed is one of the most difficult questions i've ever been asked and i've been asked many times the same type of thing uh, i'll tell you this for the king's schedule because they're a pacific time zone team at home they play a few games where they're not the rest of the team more so than teams on the east coast where they basically get that and again i I know when I ask every answer every question that deals with a, a concern, you can either you can either categorize it as a reason or an excuse, and that's up to you, the listener. You go ahead. Uh, I, I'm going to try to say that it's this team is is so detail oriented, so detail oriented, so structured that if you do let that slide, and maybe the Maybe the time you let it slide is when you get home and for whatever reason, there's that false sense of security. There's just that. And then you let that your guard drop for a split second. More than most teams, more than teams that don't rely on detail as much as the Kings and structures the Kings, 
Maybe it affects the Kings more at home than on the road. I really, I'll be honest, I don't think I answered your question, but that's that's my take on it because, you know, you get your matchups at home, you get all those things that you should have, and it just, you're right. It's, I mean, this road, last year the Kings, when it appeared, when it appeared, and it didn't happen that often, but when it appeared the Kings season was about to slide, they went on long road trips and were outstanding. And uh, at least let's hope that happens the, <laughs> the last two games of this trip. Let's, this is a great question, Jeff. Thanks for asking. Anybody else that wants to ask Jim or myself a question, go ahead and uh, request. I see you in there, Mikey, and uh, and even and even uh, I saw Alex for a second there. But Jim, let's talk about uh, regression because not just the road record, but also the record against the East last season was surprisingly good. Um, any thoughts about that? Uh, again, it's what's the more run and gun conference now? Well, I mean, it's five games in. It seems like everybody's run and gun so far this season. Yeah, that's right. But I mean, last year, I think, I mean, it used to be the East were the big tough guys. And then mm-hmm. I think it changed a little bit. Again, I just go to detail and structure. I go that. I think there's a, there are a little bit more of a looseness out East than there was, uh, out West. And, and then again, I, you know, this, you, you tend to have the longer road trips out east than out west. So the Kings were able to get on the rolls they did last year on those long road trips, and they just co- coincided that way. If you, if anyone out there has a, an idea, a theory on it, I think it's, I, I boil it down to, there are certain segments of seasons when you're going to be on your game and not on your game. Fatigue has a little bit to do with that. Travel has a little bit to do with that. But now you're on the road, so you got to take travel out of that because you should be more fatigued. I think it's just when you're feeling better about yourself. But if you were going, if you were going to go to contrast the, the conferences, I would say a little bit more of that you know, run and gun systems, you know, systems played in the East. And uh, it makes the Kings appear to be more effective because that structure's there. So let's talk about the travel and the fatigue. Because yesterday morning, I think it was yesterday, um, I was out on a walk and it occurred to me, man, this is the back-to-back game. Detroit one night, Nashville the next. That's not a small trip. I mean, it's not the longest trip that you have to take in a back-to-back situation. But it's not like, you know, New Jersey to to the Islanders. Um, What kind of – like – in my mind, before the game started, I was saying to myself, this is a scheduled loss. If they lose this one, I'm not going to overreact. I'm not going to freak out. They won. Every team has them. But, I mean, can I, Can you go into a game like that with that mentality if you're on the team? Or do you have to just push all that out? I think that a couple things went into last game before we we're going to nitpick and get down to it. Mm-hmm. First of all, the travel is so much easier now. It just is. Okay. The the charter flights, the way they're scheduled, the way it, it's worked in unison with the strength and conditioning and the nutritional. I mean, everything comes together. Uh, the preparation of your body and how you recover, that's a science now. Uh, so I, I don't think it's as big of a difference as it has been. I'll say this, to me, as an observer yesterday, just having a late start time, that extra hour, 
makes a difference. It just calms the day, the day down. Now, again, they didn't skate yesterday. They hardly skate in back-to-back situations anymore. Uh, everything now is based on recovery. It's not based on preparing for the next game in the back-to-back situation. It is based on recovering from the first game. And I think most teams have that opportunity to do that. Again, the Kings were really good at it. They have been. And let's go back to it again, right? Detail, structure, more than most teams. You're not relying as much on your talent as you are on your positional play. And uh, maybe they get you through it. Because in a back-to-back situation, when did the Kings win the game? Last night, late in the game. Mm -hmm. You should be tired. You talked about coordinating travel with fitness and nutrition. What do you, what? How is that coordinated? And again, anybody who has any questions, I saw somebody uh, request to be a speaker yeah, and then disappear. But sorry, go ahead. We need some questions here. We need yeah. some <laughs> make some heart get or some, some comments stuff. or just thoughts or you know. I hear a lot of hard stuff out there from a lot of people, mm-hmm. and let's let's we we can take it. But <laughs> I, I think I, I think it starts right after the game. Just something you know I've learned over the years that uh, most everyone knows now. The faster you can put calories back in your body after you've exerted yourself, the better your recovery will be. So now in the locker room, right after games, players will have food available. It's not always the best food, but it's it's fast food. Not it's not burgers and stuff, but it's it's complex carbohydrates as much as possible. But it's coming back, protein coming back right away, right soon as the game is over. You're eating right away, as you know. Which leads me to you know for those out there what the NHL stands for, right? It's never hungry. Yeah. Yeah. So they eat, and then you get on the plane and your, your meals are planned. The players basically eat before we take off. <laughs> so all the floaters like us, we don't, we just wait till, like keep in mind last night, it's only an hour, not 10 minutes in the air, but the players are basically done eating their pre-planned food before you take off. And that's a great job by the, the flight attendants that do a great job. We fly out uh, charters on Delta, and they do a phenomenal job for us. The hydration, all that. The nutritionist is traveling with the Kings right now. So Is that normal? It is not, but early in the season, she's here to check to make sure the hotels are taking care, you know, operating properly with the food. Mm-hmm that the, the airlines are to, to snacks, the snacks that the players get on planes, the snack that those are all monitored and chosen specifically. So, you know, it has, to, it has to prepare you better. It, it really does. And it's, it's, it's a team effort, strength and conditioning, uh, you know, how you prepare for the next game. Then of course the trainers, the medical trainers who have to take care of injuries and make sure they don't go too long. That's, it's just a great team effort. All right, we've got some questions. So Nick Walker, I'm going to go ahead and add you as a speaker. Just unmute yourself as soon as you get the opportunity. And go ahead, Nick, how are you doing? Hey, great, guys. Uh, thanks for doing this. Um, Jim, I was just curious about the power play. Um, it looks a lot better than last year. i got to give him that. But um, I just... I'm not quite seeing the shots taken yet. I don't know if it's, you know, it's still a work in progress, I'm sure. Um, and with Kopi, he loves to distribute. Is it, would it be more dangerous if he took a random shot here or there? He would. It would be, yes. The, the first thing that comes to mind, though, is if just off the top of my head, he's 15 years in the league, it's not changing. <laughs> not going to change. Yeah. I, I wish it did. And, I think you've noticed already 
that they've changed his position on the power play. So that's maybe going to get him to shoot more, not as much as we would all like. Um, but that's that's not going to change. So the only way to change that is to change him. Let's face it. Let's get if you want it, if you want that to change up. So now you're, you're getting rid of his distributing capabilities. Uh, he has used cross seam pass this year more than ever I've seen before to both Kempe and Fiala on the far side. And that's something that, um, that's something that, you know, we haven't seen consistently. I really like that because I really think one of the most important things of any power play is to have one play that the other team has to worry about. One play the other team has to take away. If you can establish that, then you can get other things to work later on. And I think that's so important. So, um, it has moved around the puck. Drew explained it to us this way. The feet aren't moving as more than it was in the past, but the puck is certainly moving quicker. It is. Uh, Jim Hiller, who's taken over, I think his concept is the biggest issue during a season is being able to adjust because when you get something going, the Pelly Killers are going to adjust, and then you have to adjust to them. It's a, just a constant adjustment back and forth. Um, so I, I really like what's going on. It's not as predictable anymore. Entering the zone, it's not only Kempe right now, it's Fiala mostly, and then Dowdy. So you have three options as far as entering the zone. When it looked like in the past, uh, it was only one guy. Um, so that's... Jim, I'm, I'm going to hop in here real quick because I've got yep. a f- follow-up for Nick's power play question. Nick, if you've got a, another follow-up, you can hop in after this. But I, Zach told me I was crazy, but I felt like in the preseason they had Kempe posted up on the right circle waiting for those cross-seam passes and Fiala more roaming around. And it feels like in the regular season they've swapped Fiala and Kempe. Am I imagining that? I wouldn't say that. Yeah, well, 51% yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. No, you're right. I think you're correct. But again, the, the swap, and, and Adrian told us right before the season started, it used to be get in the zone, go to your positions. Mm-hmm. Now it's get in the zone. That's still, and then it may take a while to, for you to end up where you need to be. Probably, there's probably three major setups on a power play, and then there's five variables of those three i think now the interchangeability is there so that's kind of what you're talking about a little bit it certainly is different there are different looks who touches the puck first on entry is a little bit different who gets to be the one-time shooter that changes from position to position um but yeah the ability to to uh to not just have to go to one spot and let's not you know we know it. We all, in the past, it was too stationary with a puck on Andre Kopitar's stick too much, standing there looking for the perfect pass. Is that, at the same time, I, I, you want the puck in your best player's hands. You want that. But it just became too predictable and too stationary. And by going to this new variables that are available, the variety, you're not stuck into one position, uh, I think that will improve and it has improved the power play. 
Jeff, thank you for the question. Uh, if you want to ask another one, you can go ahead and uh, raise your hand again. But in the meantime, Gene, if you want to go ahead and unmute yourself, uh, go, ahead, go ahead. How are you doing, Gene? I'm good, thanks. Hey, Is it Gene, by the way? Sorry. It's Jeannie. Jeannie. Okay, sorry, Jeannie. Uh, Jim, with with the uh, back-to-back situation and an injury to Aya Follow, I, I would have thought maybe Jared Anderson Dolan would have gotten into the game last night. He didn't. So my question is, when does it happen? I mean, I would assume it's not beneficial to have a player sit for a long time. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think one thing with uh, Jad is this, that works against him, is that he's so committed, that he's so prepared, that he's so on top of things, that coaches can trust him that they they don't need to put him in because they know when they do put him in, he's going to be ready as opposed to other guys that you want to keep going. You want to keep them involved. Uh, it's just his commitment is so good. It may work against him in that instance. Uh, you can always talk about those areas. And it, to me, it, it's, it, it really catches my attention. How much is discussed on the bottom line, the last line, uh, you know, Kevin Fiala didn't play a lot last night, late in the game in four on four situations. Uh, he hasn't found a way yet to get there mostly in the three-on-three. He did. And that's another thing, uh, you know, because of the back-to-back, Todd used four different combinations in the overtime last night. That's unusual. Almost to the point where it used to be two combinations up front and, and one defenseman. So he, so he changed that around. Um, I think just where we stand right now, familiarity has a lot to do with it in that the plug-in, plug in, who's he going to plug in? And I think uh, Carl's been around the team more. Artie's been around the team more than Jad has. So for that reason, you, they're kind of just in that position more. Now, I'm not going to go off on the, the handle here. I'm, but uh, believe me, Carl Grunstrom had six hits last night to lead the Kings. I saw just about every one of them, and it's – is he an impact player? No, he's a role player. But believe me, every one of those hits were hard. And by the end of a night, that was important. So I think he did his job in the role he was placed into. I think Jad will find his way in. Um, I just, if I can be as polite as possible, you're in a back-to-back situation. You have a comeback win and you win the game. I'm not complaining about personnel choices at all. Uh, let's talk about personal uh, choices, though. Jeannie, thank you very much for the question. Appreciate thank it. You. I can, too, uh, uh, before I – Yeah. Because it slipped my mind at the time. Kari Oliver is the uh, dietitian for the Kings. Okay. And she, she's traveling right now, and uh, she's been with the Kings for a couple of years, and it's just interesting. The One of the most interesting things that I learned about was how spices are used – to allow nutrients and vitamins to enter your system quicker than they would without the use of a spice. So uh, just just little just little things like that in the nutritional sciences that come to mind. It's it's just, it really intrigues me to how one you know back in the you know the stone stone age <laughs> when I played and I'd be playing a back to back situation. And I'd go up to my center and Bernie Nichols go Bernie. Man, my legs just aren't here tonight. Uh, you know, if we're going to do this, we just got to keep it. So, you know, I don't know if players ever say that. They're, they're just they're able to be prepared and, and nutritionally ready to go and hydrated. 
All right, Lieb is up next. Did I say your name correctly? I'm sorry, you're muted, by the way, uh, whenever you get it. There you go. Lieb, did I uh, pronounce that correctly? Yeah, close enough. <laughs> well, I, I like to get it right. So how, what is the pronunciation? It's Lieb. Lieb, I'm like, sorry. Lieb. Like, yeah. Thanks good? for joining us, Lieb. How are you guys? Lieb, that alone. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, I actually wanted to know from you, uh, what are you seeing from the defensemen playing the offsides as individuals, and do you see this as a tenable situation going forward for Rob Blake or something he has to fix? I think if they, if I were to analyze what's happened so far, it has to be fixed. Um, I, I think the players that have done it, I think uh, Sean Dursey's probably been put in that situation more than anyone right now. I know Walks, uh, Sean Walker was put in there probably at the beginning of the year. Then he missed, you know, probably understandable with the year he missed with his leg. Won't be in every game. I know that the Brad Clark's been over there more so last night. His ice time is not, you know, going through the roof right now. But I, I do just I do see uh, not as much on attack and defending the attack, but when you're down in the corners and you have to pivot with the with the leg that you're not used to pivoting with, or lead with the shoulder, you know, or getting your stick in a position where you, you would if you were on your strong side. Uh, I'm noticing that, so you know. And it doesn't always turn into a goal immediately, a goal against. But, you know, it might start a play where the other team's able to keep a puck alive because you, you're just that half second behind. So uh, to keep it short, because I have been going long, uh, I think uh, I think it, how they address it, I'm not sure. I know Jesse knows I'm a big Bjornfoot uh, fan. Uh, Mumu's up here right now, Movari. So, you know, he, he can play a more settled down game. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I am starting. I am noticing it's it. It needs to be a. Uh, it needs to be. It needs to be addressed. We appreciate the question. Uh, up next, uh, there's not a proper name here, but wysb.me. How are you doing today? Hey guys, uh, my name is Josh. Actually, so thank you, hey, Josh. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, Foxy had mentioned Grunstrom having six hits last night. And I have a buddy of mine, obviously a lifelong Kings fan, who's always complaining about the Kings need to get tougher. And it was funny, interesting, uh, in the first period last night, there was a couple hits where I, it looked like, oh boy, we might get pushed around tonight. But they, the Kings really responded well in the, the physical component of the game, didn't they? So that was pretty nice to see. Okay, so I have, um, I apologize if you guys have already spoken about this, but with regard to Gabe Velarde, what a! I just look at it. I go, what a novel concept that to put a younger guy in a position to succeed. And with Gabe, we've always seen it. You've always seen it. he has he has it. He's always had something to his game where it looks like he should be out there. And now he's getting you know power play time with the first unit. Uh, and he's just. I feel like he's been put in a position where he can succeed. And um, so it just looks like that's what's happening. And hopefully that continues. What do you guys think about that? Well, I'm going to say it this way. Gabe has made adjustments. Gabe is different this year. May not be like what we're seeing on the ice. He is different. So if anyone has changed, it's been Gabe. So then now that allows them, being the coaching staff or the people who are making those decisions, to play him in that role more than they were able to do in the past because the peaks and valleys were there and they were predominant. They were easy to see. If those valleys go away a little bit, then I think you're going to see 
Gabe continued to be put in those situations. Uh, unfortunately, it appeared, and I'll be honest with you guys, I don't think I've ever asked Gabe point blank, did you, were you down on yourself too much? I don't think I've asked that. It's kind of a personal question, so it's tough, but you know, I guess it's a question I should have asked. Uh, but it seems like this year, the adjustments he has made to his demeanor and approach are allowing him to be put in those situations more so than the past. Jim, I won't ask you to name names, but are there other young players that you see that might be going through that process right now that need to make similar changes? Huh. That's a great question. I, I really, nothing stands out to me. Uh, you know, the, uh, Toby Bjornfoot, mm-hmm. and what they're asking him to do, right, is be more assertive. So that's, yes, it will, it will see it. It'll be visual on the ice. He'll be up the ice more. He'll be pinching down the wall more. When he goes to the net, he's driving 100%. He's not just thinking, oh, what happens if I don't score? I better get back. No, let's score, and you don't have to get back. You get back for the faceoff at center because the puck's in the net. Those types of things. Uh, so that's the one guy that I would point at. Again, it's it's more of that adjustment on how you're thinking the game, and then it then it affects how you go out there and play the game. Um, you know, uh, right now our group, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think Q's there yet. I don't think Quinton's in that position yet where he's had enough ice time yet because of COVID and because of broken ankle and because of the whole bunch. You know, he just hasn't been given that much ice time yet to be to, to, to get a read on him yet to see whether he is up and down um, but that would be the guy who uh, I think uh, you know within the organization is the guy that comes to mind in that area now you know Grundstrom's not young anymore but I know that Todd has mentioned this is the first time that they feel that he is an NHL player every night he's he, you know he it used to be he would have to take someone else's spot. Now someone has to take his spot. So we'll monitor his game to see if, you know, man, who was it? Oh, there was a, there was a role-playing defenseman for me. Oh, oh he was traded. Oh, he was traded to Calgary. He got into a fight with uh, Tyler Toffoli. For the Kings? Uh, yep. Yeah. Oh. Did he get in? Was it uh, Fandenberg? Yes. Okay. So. He, 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 he explained to me one time, I never heard it. He just, I, I have to make sure my, my worst games are not as bad as they have been. So make sure your floor is not bottom. Mm-hmm. Make, make sure when you play bad, it still gets you a couple of shifts. You're still, and that's kind of where we're at with Gabe. Um, the previous comment about, toughness and size and aggressiveness. It's not a concern as much anymore. Uh, The intimidation factor is not what it once was, but keep in mind the roster right now, you know, do we consider Alexander Edler a, a tough player? No, but you know what? He's big. He's long. He has reach. The Kings are small right now. They are. Back on the blue line. So you got to find a way to, and that's why, you know, I'll be honest with you, that's why I brought up the six hits by, by Grunstrom because 
those six hits might be like 12 for another team that's a little bit bigger right now. Hmm. You mean impact-wise, uh, like as far as the impact it has on the, the his team? Yes. You know, it, it, it doesn't get – those six don't get – those six hits don't get lost by his teammates. They they know – they remember that. Now, keep in mind, let's go through the evolution of the Kings, right? Two-time Stanley Cup champion, big, lock it down, boom, boom. Everyone says you got to get bigger, you got to get faster, you got to. Okay, so they did that. They took a period. They had a transition to bigger, faster, more skilled. Fiala comes in. Well, oh, the Kings aren't big enough anymore. Well, it's easier to add size, I think, later than it is to add skill. So now, now they're in a position where they may have to add some, but you still got to keep the Vlardis, who bring size and skill. That's great, but you know you're. We'll be, we'll be able to add that. It doesn't always, you know, after, you know, 15, 16, kings are big, big, too slow, too big, too slow. Big. Then they get small and fast. And now there will be, I've said it to you just before we talked about, it. I think the kings are now in a position for the next five to six years, they're going to get better every year. And part of that getting better will be meshing in a little bit more size with that skill well we appreciate the question from josh brian appreciate your patience uh you're muted but go ahead now how you doing brian hey jesse uh thanks for being here uh jim i i guess i wanted to, to ask what your thoughts were with last night matt roy scoring two goals do you feel like systematic changes are allowing the more typical stay-at-home defenseman to um, score more goals? And do you think, you know, we can expect that maybe from guys like Mikey Anderson as well? Uh, I think your uh, observation is pretty spot on. I think it is a focal point of the Kings this year. It is every year, but even more so, they just, you know, you need, you're trying to find some offense and the Kings, have, you know, just the numbers from their D have not been good that way. So, it used to be you would say, right, you got a green light. Now it's not even a green light. It's you just go. I have seen Mikey Anderson down low more this year than I've ever seen before for a stay at home defenseman. Matt Roy last night, you're right. Now on the four on four goal, I don't know if you caught it. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to break it down on the play sense tomorrow before the game in the pregame show. But you know, there was just one of those things where one of the predators lost his stick and then went for a change. And as soon as that happened, Matt Roy says, Hey, it's four on three now, and I'm going. And that what he ended up being the wide open guy, but you know you're right that that read in the past he might not have made that he might have just said so I think it's a couple of things I think it's the team as you talked about structurally concept wise tactically they're increasing what they want from their defensemen and then a Matt Roy who's now 27 who's now you know. Always been known as that guy under the rate. Maybe, maybe he has to. Maybe with the injuries. Maybe with what's going. Maybe he has to be a little more. But I, I think it starts. I think it starts with the, the group first, and then how the individuals address it themselves. But you're right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Matt was just. And then <laughs> I don't know if you, if there, there was five seconds left in the game, he was chasing that loose puck in overtime, three on three, to try to get a breakaway. Matt Duchesne got him, but. It's just one of those things where that was that was that's great to see. Thanks, Brian, for the question. Any follow-ups? Yeah, I, I guess you know, as as a fan, um, you know, the the kind of counterpoint to that 
you know, the defense pinching more is that obviously your forwards need to play better, you know, defensively or have those defensive techniques down better. Um, in practices, has there been more of an emphasis on forwards with a uh, defensive technique? Not necessarily. They, they, but they, they worked on it last year and they're working on it this year on uh, sorting things out when you're, when you're, you know, so if someone does get cut off the ice, when you're going back into your own zone, in either an outnumbered situation or, you know, a three on two, say with a back checker. So someone's coming back and there's probably, they've done some adjustments. I, I don't really want to get into it specifically. Well, let me just say this. The onus on the back checking forward is a little bit more so than other teams. Uh, I think if you're checking from behind, say it's a two on one and there's the King's back checker. So it's not quite a two on two yet, but you're back checking. That back checker is expected to chase the puck carrier, not the player that could be open for the pass. That's a little bit different from most teams. Most teams have the defense defender come across, try to delay, 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 and have the back checker catch up with the potential receiver. The Kings don't play that way. So I think that's one of the little things that the Kings do. And, and to, to your point of how the forwards are expected to get a little bit more responsibility in situations where someone may have been caught out of position because they may have been too aggressive up the ice. Jim, we've been getting great questions. I'm really, uh, this is great. Uh, Brian, again, thank you for the questions. Corey, uh, you are up next. Go ahead and unmute yourself. And uh, how are you doing today, Corey? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Thank you. Awesome, man. I'm uh, actually on my prep period right now, so I'm glad I was able to catch you guys. Um, the The kids are all, they're all, they're all busy at the rally right now. So real quickly, um, I just, I wanted to point out, I thought it was really sweet to see how um, how excited the team was to win last night. Um, you wouldn't think the way that they celebrated walking off the ice, this was just some um, fifth game of the season. You know, it seems like it was uh, obviously, you know, to win on the road with the boys, it's even that much more special. But to see them uh, as fired up as they were, I think it just it builds a lot for camaraderie. It was good to see Cal Peterson get a, a win under his belt uh, for his confidence. But Again, I just, I just want to talk about, you know, the boys in the room and uh, how they're meshing. And um, I just thought it was cool to see how excited they were uh, after that win last night. Yep. For two, two uh, Corey, correct? Yes. So now I figured out how to tap your name. And <laughs> first. So now I, I, I apologize to everyone before when I wasn't using your name. But uh, uh, I think two nights in a row. The previous night for Arvidsson and then last night for Cal. Uh, and it's you're right, Corey. It is a little bit. There was a little bit more there. There was, and that's just nice to see. And even Tom McClellan acknowledged it in his post game comments. They were happy for themselves. They were happy for their teammates. Uh, that's that really showed through. So sometimes the way it happens early in the season. Let's hope that you're right. That goes to build a little bit more cohesive cohesiveness with a group or tightness with a group because it wasn't a game where you started great and you know it played through the whole thing and you dumped no it was a game where you had that ups and downs and and you came out and and, and where one guy like we talked about early Corey I don't know if you know but after the second period Cal smashed his stick at the bench and he would and then his teammates can get that feeling and, and they could come back the night before Victor Arvidsson in a situation where you know, he, he wanted to take the puck further towards the net, got surprised by a back check, could have been the GOAT, Kings win, 
boom, the no points right away to the bench. Hey, guy, I got you. I've got you. Last night, they go through. Cal goes, you know, a little bit more emotional after the game. The other guys jump. That's that's nice to see, especially early, especially early in the season. Jim, I, I just agree. want to uh, hop on this real quick. The, you used the word goat to mean what it used to mean, which was the, yeah, <laughs> the opposite right. of a hero, not the greatest of all time. I hate that change in slang. But, Corey, sorry, go ahead. I cut you off. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, just want to say thank you, guys. You do a great job. Uh, keep up the good work. And, you know, we look forward to continue to watching the games win and hopefully see some more celebrations like that afterwards. So thanks a lot, guys. Have a great day. Appreciate it, Corey. And Jim, I actually do want to follow up on what Corey was talking about, because last year um, I, I sort of jokingly replied uh, to a couple of people talking about how the team managed to get as many points as they did last year. And I sort of said, like, they did it through the power of friendship. And we heard from, I think it was Todd McClellan last year, who talked about when a team plays for its goalie, not with its goalie, um, how that can bring uh you know, intensity, power, whatever you want to call it. There was a shot on the bench after Gabe Velarde scored in the shootout, but before Cal Peterson stopped the final attempt from Nashville. And Phil Deneau had his arm around um, Velarde's shoulders. Now it's whatever, a half a second, but it caught my eye on on the telecast. Um, does that sense of camaraderie come from the players, the coaching staff? Is it a combo? Like how does a team build that kind of community? It's, you know what, it's individual personalities. Mm -hmm. Some guys are leaders and some guys are not. Okay. And some guys are good followers, you know, and then some guys are clubhouse lawyers. <laughs> Do we know anybody like that? <laughs> uh, not unless I look in the mirror, <laughs> but the, it's, you're just, there's a, every team is close. Right? I mean, I hope so. Every, te every team says, oh, we love to have that long road trip at the beginning of the season so we can get the bonding. But it doesn't always come together because personalities. The one guy you mentioned, we now get a firsthand chance to see, and that's uh, Philippe Deneau. Mm -hmm. We saw him on the ice, but because of COVID, we saw him in controlled environments. Now we're getting to see his personality exuding through a locker room. Let me just bring it to, because it's on my mind right now. And as I get older, I learn that I have to say it or else I forget it. <laughs> Part of the win last night. And let's hope again. I, I hope the Kings are great. I hope, you know, like I said, I think they're going to get better now for every five, five or six years. They're just going to keep getting better every year. But part of the win last night, I believe is an Andre Kopitar or a Philippe Deneau or a Kevin Fiala or an Adrian Campe going, hey, that Velarde guy is pretty good. Hey, that Byfield guy, he can make plays. Hey, that Brad Clark kid, whether he's with us all year long, or, hey, he's pretty good. When we're four on four late in the game, when we need to, you know, score, play the time and score, we need a goal. He's going to be on the ice. It's, they're now starting to see that this prospect pool that everyone's been talking about and not everyone's going to hit, right? Toby hasn't hit yet. I think he's going to hit, but I, I think now they're saying, I you don't say it consciously, but you 
I don't have to do it every night. Every once in a while, that young kid's going to do it. And what's that going to do? Bring the team closer together. And I think that's a little bit what we saw last night. So just to rephrase what you're saying, you're saying like they have to internalize it, like they're saying it to themselves. I'm saying that a guy like Kopitar or Fiala will all, Campia will always say, I want to puck on my stick. I want to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's also nice to know that you have guys that are young and can do it. And every once in a while, they can win the game as opposed to you having to win the game every single night. All right, I'm going to ask one question uh, that we got from Twitter. Uh, it wasn't uh, – they, they, I guess they weren't able to request. And in the meantime, Mikey Alexander, I see you lurking there. I'm going to insist that you join us at least to uh, to get excited about that win. So, Mikey, go ahead and request us. The question was, uh, I think since Cal started finding his groove towards the end of the game, he should start tomorrow. What's your opinions and who do you think Todd goes with? Jim, I'll start and I'll say I'm assuming they'll go with Quick. But uh, any thoughts on who they should uh, on who they should start? And, Mikey, join this call. Yeah, I think that's a pretty quick assumption by you, Jess. Uh, oh, really? But, yeah. <laughs> you didn't get it, huh? Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, quick, huh? Sorry. <laughs> uh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> if Alex is still on, he would be really <laughs> But uh, you know what? You do need two, more so than any time. You need two goaltenders. You want to keep everyone involved, more so than in the past, where you let a guy run with it right beginning of the season. Oh, let's let this guy run with it. He's going to. I'm not. I'll be honest. I don't. God, I I should more, I guess. I don't. That's that's Todd's decision. That's that's Billy Ranford's decision. Uh, I'll try to give you a little insight of what I found out the other day and haven't mentioned on the air yet, but I have it in my notes. I talked to Todd about goaltenders. Do you have a set rotation set for the beginning of a season, say the first month? And he said, no. He said, it's day by day. He said, he lets Bill Radford handle most of that, if not all of it. Of course, the final decision is for Todd, but he defers to Bill and a lot of that, and then mostly in the communication. And then when I asked him what I thought was the most interesting part is, when do you communicate to the goaltenders what your decision is? Like, when are you going to start? He said it's almost also on a day-to-day basis. So it's not like they go a week ahead and say, okay, we got four games this week. we got a back-to-back. You're going to play. They, they might, you know, in the back-to-back say something, but they, 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 they're, pretty, they're pretty much spot on, and let's take it one game at a time. That might be different. I heard uh, Bruce Cassidy the other day in Vegas saying, oh, I, I mapped out the whole first month of goaltending and how it's going to go. Different philosophy. Different goaltenders, different personnel, different goaltender coaches, all those. I really, I don't get into that. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Cal. Uh, I would be okay with, with Quickie. It's, we're going to need both. Yeah, it's a nice problem to have. And just we had our preseason with Nick and I, Nick Nixon and I. Mm-hmm. I, I said, what, like 57 23 or something like that or i don't it was the 47 30 whatever it was mm-hmm. 47 35 i think in favor of quickie um just the way the season started um but um you know what that's 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 a good point it, you know the question is a good point um mikey and i i think now 
Todd will have a conversation with Bill Ranford. I think he will. I think he will. I, I think that'll be part that what you brought up will be part of that conversation. And then someone, you know, Todd will have to make the final decision. But I think, I think that's a point well taken. Get both guys going and maybe let Cal build on the positive end of the game. All right, I threw the bat signal up in the air. Mikey Alexander responded in arena host, one of the in arena hosts uh, at crypto.com arena for your LA Kings. Mikey, unmute yourself. Tell me how much you would have liked to have been there for that win last night. Yes, I looked at the sky and I saw the Jesse Coa bat signal and I ran to it, my friend. Jim, Jesse, uh, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> this is a great show. Thanks for playing all the hits. And, uh, this is awesome. Do more of this. Um, I actually do have a couple of questions. Jim, specifically for you, you're such a nice guy in all the arenas. And Janine and Darren were there in Nashville last night, and they said they chatted with you. Um, and it brought up an idea of if money were no object for any of the Kings fans, Jim, besides crypto.com arena, what, what are some of the arenas? Because you're so amazing. You get to travel to all these arenas. What arenas stand out to you that you actually enjoy visiting at, you know, for the Kings games in an away arena? Uh, if you could... Tell any five arenas you want to go to. Which one? Which let's one let's make it three, Mikey. <laughs> okay, three, three. All right. First one, Centre Bell, in Montreal. Only because of the mystique. For me, I played in the old form, which was not the original form, but uh, that just has a special feeling. Uh, perhaps for a Canadian, I have dual now citizenship, but. Growing up in Canada, uh, I've told the story many times before. My my wife's grandfather used to get dressed up in a shirt and tie and dress pants to watch it on TV. <laughs> and he was French-Canadian, and that's important. Uh, number two, and I'm not going in an order here, but that, that stands out to me. Number two, where we were last night, hmm. the live band during the intermissions in Nashville outstanding and you know what has nothing to do with hockey (laughs) this has to do with enjoying your night going out and enjoying a night out with friends and i mean you know they have it's a college atmosphere in nashville they have a lot of uh predetermined chants and cheers that they have going and but uh and and to that for me that's a little you know nerd geeky but um Oh, and I can hear myself now. Yeah, that was on Mikey's. I muted him. Sorry, Mikey. Yeah, Mikey, get out of here, Mikey. What the hell? (laughs) And then I'm going to go with, well, I'll tell you what. If you spend a billion dollars just to renovate your building, you should get some credit. So Madison Square Garden. Uh, What they did in the renovation is real. Like when you get down to the ground floor, and where the locker rooms are, it's a little bit better, but it's still a little, it's still a little New Yorkish and a little uh, cruddy and all that. But when you look at the whole building now, a uh, billion dollars gets you a lot. So there you go, Montreal, Nashville, and New York. Mikey, sorry, I had to remove you from speaker status there. Uh, Jim, I'm going to throw out one last call for anybody that wants to get a question in. Jordan, I saw you uh, waiting. Sorry, we didn't get a chance to you if you want to request a chance to speak now. Yes, I- too. Yes, by all means. We should do the rapid fire thing where I only have 10 seconds to answer a question. Uh, but I didn't prepare any questions, but if anybody's got one and we want to give ten, Jim 10 seconds, I'm all for that. Next time we do this, I will absolutely yeah, just, uh, get some just ready to, to get go. Through more. And I'm too long winded, but. No, not at all. 
it's great to do this because, you know, on a telecast, for instance, a goal scored, uh, there's 18 different things that went into the goal, but I've got 20 seconds to figure it out, come back with it, do a couple of replays, do that. And you don't always want, you know, the, the, this type of format allows me to get deeper into things. But there's also the time, too, where even if I'm wrong or I, I you know, it's just 10 seconds, get your answer out and get it out there. All right. Well, here, I actually do have one 10, 10 second or less question for you. Uh, as the gold, as, how's the officiating been so far this season? Officiating, I always look from the eyes of the official. Mm-hmm. So it's been fine. I think <laughs> there's been a couple of uh, holding calls like last night that were uh, tough, but young players can go to the box. Do you talking about the Brant Clark holding call against the boards? Pardon me? You talking about the Brant Clark holding call against the, the boards in the zone? Cause I there thought- was two of them. I think the way Brant's going into his contact now mm-hmm. uh, provides a visual to the officials that he's holding. Okay, fair enough. Corey's back, so we're going to go ahead and uh, let Corey come back and ask another question. Corey, thanks for joining us again. Hey, guys, just a quick uh, rapid fire. We talked about, you know, not every prospect's going to hit, um, but we first saw Bjornfoot. Man, I thought, you know, this kid's going to be a player. He's not with the rain now, so Fox, what would it take in a short moment response for this kid to hit in his game? What, is, what does he need to do? Get older. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. He is one of my favorite. I think he's going to be a long-time NHLer. He is smooth. He is smooth as butter. If he gets more aggressive, he skates. We'll find him get to top speed. He will be there. He's, what, 21 years old. Jim, we actually do have some uh, some rapid-fire questions here coming in from Twitter. Uh, Nicholas, who talked to us earlier, wants to know if Clark gets more than nine games, yes or no? Yes. All right. And Toby Bjornfoot's shot seems pretty good. Any talk among the organization about his goal scoring potential? And I'll just ask you, Jim, if you saw the highlight of his goal he scored in that first game. Did see the highlight. That's not going to happen all the time. (laughs) No, no, it proves that he does have the skill, and it proves that if he changes his mindset and becomes more aggressive, he can get in those situations. uh, How many of the eight goals did you watch the highlights of from that first rain game? One. Wow, the, the Bjornfoot one. All right. Uh, listen, I think that is going to wrap up because my phone battery is running dangerously low. Jim, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, pleasure. Anytime. I love it. Uh, great interaction today. Some great, great questions. I appreciate everyone giving me the chance to, and time to, to answer. And then just like you say, if we do this again, which I hope we do, uh, let's do like a 15-minute segment where we just do – rapid fire and get them out of the way well here's another one that just came in what line has been the most impressive so far to you impressive um man that's a good question i would have to say impressive it would have to be uh, anything that velarde's done so whatever line he's on there you go the uh the velarde line all right jim thank you very much kings fans thanks for listening there'll be a new episode out tomorrow with me all right, obviously you don't need to listen to the outro there. That was just me talking to the live uh, listeners at the time, telling them about the episode you're listening to right now. And right now I'm going to tell you about our next episode, which will be out Monday morning. We'll be talking to Luke Robitaille about the reverse retro jerseys. I asked him some questions from fans. We'll have a week two recap, and hopefully we'll be talking about two more road wins. Kings fans, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy your weekend. <laughs>